0: We've got this massive information ecosystem that kind of shows us all the ways the world is broken and it makes us feel like all of it's new when actually it's been around for a really long time. We just didn't have the visibility or the access to, you know, employees on the ground posting TikToks of the messed up things that are happening in their company, you know, like we didn't have that.
1: You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight Series where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales and fintech leaders sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show.
2: Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 286 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Caleb Gardner to the show. Caleb is an author. Keynote speaker and co founder and managing partner of 18 Coffees, a management consulting firm and community of forward thinking leaders building more ethical, inclusive, and effective organizations. Caleb has worked with clients like Comcast, Bose, Cirrus XM, and the United Way worldwide to help them navigate some of the most challenging change initiatives and find continued growth and success. And today, We're going to be doing a deep dive into change. No, not the coins that you carry around in your pocket, but the thing that I find many financial brand leaders and their teams struggling with, which is changing the way they think so that they can change the way they do. And that's why Caleb wrote the book, No Point B, Rules for Leading Change in the New Hyperconnected, Radically Conscious Economy. And together, Caleb and I are going to guide you, dear listener, so that you can continue to move forward along your own journey of growth, to journey through the complexities of change so that you can continue to grow your bank, your credit union, or your fintech. Welcome to the show, Caleb. It is good to share time with you today. Thank you so much for having me. And I definitely feel like you
0: just over-promised what this one podcast is going to deliver. We're going to teach you all about how to change your organization in the next, you know, 20 to 40 minutes. Done. You won't need
2: anything else. That's it. And you can uh you can just that's it. We're we're done. We're done. No, and all in all <laughs> serious before before we get into how to actually do that and 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 really diving into your book, No Point B, what what's good in your world right now? Personally or professionally, it's always your pick to get started on a positive note.
0: Oh, I like that question. Um, what is good in my world? I've been uh, listening to a lot of music as part of another um, music podcast that a friend and I are are launching. And it's fun to have a project that really has nothing to do with your day job. You know, like I'm yeah. one of those people like you, I'm sure, that has like, you know, four or five irons in the fire at any given Always. time. But kind of like that reinforce each other, right? Like it mm. all kind of feels part of one career. Yeah, And then I've got this fun thing thing that's just on the side that's me and a buddy of mine talking about the albums that we've loved for our entire life okay that, that, that's been giving me life because it's just like this has nothing to do with anything it's just for fun
2: so we were talking about a connection before we hit record going all the way back to Baylor University and let's talk music just for a bit because that's a personal passion of mine. I, before I started uh, what would become the Digital Growth Institute, I was actually playing in a punk rock band yes. back in the day, pop punk. And my dream was to go out to SoCal, join Warp Tour. Until there was a girl who told me in the <laughs> library where we were studying, she was like, "Your band sucks." you suck do something with your life and uh so I started this company trying to impress her and sure enough we ended up getting married so I knew that's
0: where that story was going (laughs) but but still
2: still have a passion for music um I was actually in the orchestra growing up I played the viola so what's uh what's 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 been the inspiration the albums if you will that have, have kind of you know inspired you over the years
0: Oh, that's I mean we could do the podcast just on that. I mean, I first of all, I was also uh, a music minor in at Baylor. Uh-huh. Um would have would have had to major in vocal performance, but they actually didn't make you uh, uh stay on a specific like instrument as a minor. It was just academic, but was in gospel choir for many years, play guitar. You can see the guitar on the the visual here. I've got the a guitar in the back just for fun. Um but yeah, I uh, I was in a very terrible band in high school with one of my best <laughs> friends, called Satellite of Love. It was a it was a throwback reference to uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand. If you uh-huh. ever watched that, um, so you know we we loved music growing up. I mean R and B, hip hop, punk, heavy metal. We yeah. went through an unfortunate rap metal phase. You know we were rap core, rap
2: core. Yeah, if you're, <laughs> I, I, I feel you. I feel ya. you. You yeah. know. And that's the thing now it's like with, with four kids really introducing them to a wide variety of genres. Cause I think that's like, that's life. You just, yeah, you you get a lot of perspective and then that's how you gain new points of view. And I mean, I think that's a great transition to talking about change because change is happening at a more rapid pace. Um, And Mm -hmm. as a fellow author, Why? because i know the time the effort the energy it takes to write a book but why take time to write no point b and I'm, more importantly why now
0: yeah i mean and and i assume you want an answer that's not just i'm a masochist and <laughs> writing writing is a um a, you know self-flagellation process um as you know i mean I, there's what's interesting about the moment that we're in is that it's both more urgent than ever to yeah. understand How we change, why we're changing, what's the pace of change, what's causing us to change. And what's true is that we've never actually reconciled how much change was happening that we didn't have visibility into. Mm
1: -hmm. You know,
0: like we've got this massive information ecosystem that kind of shows us all the ways the world is broken Mm -hmm. and it makes us feel like all of it's new when actually it's been around for a really long time. We just didn't have the visibility or the access to, you know, employees on the ground posting tiktoks of the messed up things that are happening in their company you know like we didn't have that 30 40 years ago but it was still happening but that can be true at the same time as it can be true that the pace of change right now is happening a lot faster than it used to because of that access to information we've got um more you know visibility into the the again the broken areas of our companies and our society in a way that makes people want to lean in and make it better and mm-hmm. i think that thing is that leaning in process is beautiful and unique to the moment that we're in now and unfortunately or fortunately depending on how you look at it provides us with the responsibility to do something about it mm. like we have we are both more empowered than any of our ancestors ever were because of the access to information, but we sure. also, I think, have more ethical responsibility to do something about it, to move the, the world in a direction that we can feel good about.
2: That's a great point, to do something, because, you know, if I look at these, I call them the four environments for exponential growth. You can be learning, thinking, doing, reviewing. Well, learning and thinking, that's that's knowing, but when you do and you review what you've done to then go through that process again, that's mm-hmm. growing on that side of the equation. And I appreciate your your point of view about maybe it's awareness or perspective, which which I look at as context and framing. It's been happening. All of this has been happening. We just haven't had the perspective or the lens or the view, the awareness into what has happened? I, I've been doing an interesting thought exercise. I'm curious to get your take on this because it sounds like we're kind of from the same general time period growing up. So I've been doing this thought <laughs> exercise. A nice I was, way of saying old. <laughs> eh, I was. I was okay. I was born in 1981. Um, there you go. I was 82. So okay. we're, we're right, right, right there. There. Right there. So 81, and I've been doing this thought exercise with financial brands um, that I advise and coach. And I'm like, okay, I want you to imagine for a moment that you were born in 1881. And I want to take you from 1881 to 1923. And let's talk about all of the transformations that have happened through the lens of technology, communication, and transformation. And it's that hindsight that you're like oh wow what would have been like to been alive back then compared to what we're experiencing right now And this is where i want to take a bit of a, a meta approach and read from the back of of your book because you asked the question and in, uh, in, in the back of your book you, and you wrote our future depends on changing the way we change but because technology has forever altered our relationship with what's coming next the tomorrow we envisioned is too often totally different by the time it arrives. There's no linear path from where we are to where we are going. And then, you know, and, and here's my question, which is your question, which is why this is meta. <laughs> you you write and ask, and I'm going to ask you, how can leaders manage disruption when disruption never stops coming? It's exhausting.
0: Let's just acknowledge that up front, that it's, it can be really overwhelming to think about the pace of change to think about what we need to be doing differently like you know as a leader it can very easily cause decision paralysis because Mm. we there's so many different fronts we need to be moving on we end up moving on none of them you know yeah um but i would say that i loved your framing earlier about i forget exactly how you said it it was like learning something learn think something. do review yes learn think do review i think that similarly in the book when i say that there is no point b what i mean is that when we go to strategic plan we forecast out where we need to be in xyz months years you know depending on how ambitious we are and we say like here's what we're going to need to be competitive maybe even to survive mm. by that point But then oftentimes, we don't really change the point that we're looking at, right? Like, we start moving in that direction. We get more data points about how the world and the market's changing. Mm. But because that direction took two years to actually implement, by the time we get there, everything has changed about our assumptions from two years ago. It's the 1923 to 1887 problem that you just said, only condensed within a very small period of time. And so when I say there's no point B, I mean that that needs to be a practice that we implement and we build into our culture and we we need to shorten planning timelines. We need to shorten, you know, how we review new data points coming in. Like all that has to be so much tighter than most big corporate machines are doing right
2: now. Cuz there's a massive difference between this idea of reflection and review which gives perspective versus what you're talking about the idea of foresight and projection very challenging in a world where change can feel exponential and it is moving mm-hmm. at an exponential pace what's your take on this you know when, when you think about the speed of change um, what's the greatest threat for financial brand leaders and their teams, what's the danger that they need to be thinking about right now in the present moment based upon everything that we know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd say for financial sector leaders, the danger is probably depending on the structure to protect you. Because, So I was at a um, an event three-ish weeks ago speaking on stage with someone who was leading uh, digital innovation for Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. And he was saying part of my challenge for him as an innovation leader is to actually be able to move the needle on things that are going to keep us competitive with the PayPals and the Venmos and all of these different, like, digital innovations that have basically been built on top of a highly regulated sector without right. the same kind of regulations because they don't actually do a lot of the banking themselves. It's it's fascinating. But I you know, cornered him after. And I was like, have you ever thought about the danger of the opposite? Where, yes, we're doing all this entrepreneurship or or however you want to label it, where we're trying to move the needle on within this kind of big bureaucratic structure. But what happens when that structure itself changes? Mm. New regulation comes down. Like, all of a sudden, all the crypto bros that are out there get something passed in Congress that we never thought was going to get passed. You know what I mean? Like, there's just... There is... I think a little bit of a danger in getting really comfortable within a highly regulated environment of, oh, that that thing will never happen. Congress will never improve that. Wall Street will never be okay with that. And we have seen time and time again where the winds can shift even in the financial sector very quickly. And so it's not just about being innovative and in f- forecasting. It's about what happens when something happens you never anticipated at all. And do you have the organizational flexibility and adaptivity to be able to then move quickly to that new direction.
1: Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown, Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply.
2: I think, you know, this is a great tie-in back to music, how we started this conversation because Russell Solomon, uh, the founder of Tower Records, there's a fantastic YouTube video. I highly recommend the dear listener go and just Google. He was talking about, oh, People are always going to want to come into our stores and listen to music. They're going to want to touch it. They're going to want to feel it. And I think this interview was recorded around the late 90s, early 2000s. But what was happening, we can look and lean into like Peter Diamandis's his six Ds, where things become, you know, digitized and then decentralized and demonetized and democratized. Well, that happened to the music space. I was Mm -hmm. one of those uh, entrepreneurial kids that was downloading music from Napster constantly, and yeah. then selling the CDs for ten bucks, you know, twenty songs compared to what you know you could go back to like Walmart or something at the time it was like fifteen to twenty bucks. Although I do remember at Walmart, oh, man, you could buy a single back then. They sold singles uh-huh. at Walmart for like what was it, like three or four dollars, but the economics yeah. were, were were horrible. And so I think you're right, leaning in. Or finding a sense of peace and comfort that, oh, well, we're in a regulated industry is a very dangerous place to be. And that's where in your book you reference the writing of Alan Toffler. Uh, He wrote Future Shock back in the 1970s. And one of the big things that I've been thinking about from his writing lately was he wrote, The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. What's your take on this? Because I think right here it comes back to my, my my point of learn, think, do review. How might financial brand leaders commit to a life of unlearning what they have learned? That's a hard, that's a hard ask, I think.
0: It's hard for any of us. Yeah. I mean, it was hard for people back in the 70s when he was writing Future Shock. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of amazing to think about people being shocked by the pace of change and being intimidated by technology in the 70s right Right. like when the computer revolution was just around the corner um but you know that anxiety about what's coming and how do we adapt to it and are we are we paying attention there's like um a balance that we have to uh strike between what kierkegaard would have called the the um getting lost in the infinite versus getting lost in the finite Mm. getting lost in the infinite is like we there's so many different things so many different possibilities so many different paths we could take that again we just kind of end up doing nothing we get lost and we don't move forward at all being lost in the finite i think is the problem within a regulated industry which is that you assume your choices for moving forward are extremely limited mm. right and you don't see the possibility of doors opening you know regulation shifting things happening in your industry that overnight could completely change how you do business. I'm thinking of like the collapse of Bear Stearns and what was that, 08, right? Mm -hmm. Like an event like that where no one saw it coming and overnight it changes the entire industry. Like those things happen more often than we anticipate in big and small ways.
2: If there's one thing that is just where my mind, you mentioned crypto before, but something like a, a central bank digital currency, that could be a massive transformation within this vertical that completely causes everyone to just pause, reflect, re- absolutely think, and, and then just pivot, which is where in chapter two, because this is all technology-based, and, and once again, going from 1881 to 1923, you know, I look at these inflections in time. Like, for example, November 30th, 2022, that's the, you know, the introduction of generative AI into the mass consciousness of humanity with chat GPT. So there's that thing <laughs> right there, which we're just going to leave right there for a moment because if we roll the clock back, 1994 was, well, that's where I say that. That was the, when the internet Reached the mass consciousness of humanity was being talked about on like the Today Show and uh you know, all of all of the news. I think Newsweek even did a cover story or Time did a cover story on this. So I want to take time to talk through chapter two, which you titled The Internet Makes Change Harder and Easier. It's a bit bit of a paradox (laughs) here. Why why
0: is this? It's because the internet is a reflection of all it's both a reflection of all the broken parts and the greatest parts of humanity, but it's also controlled very centrally by these few big mm. companies. Um, and if you go back to the vision of some of the original creators of the internet, like Tim Berners-Lee, mm-hmm. you know who who if you read some of his reflections on where the internet, you know, went since then, it's fascinating to see what he would do differently in terms of especially changing some of the economic incentives. Yeah. You know, they, the industry, the, the tech industry and the Internet became very ad driven model focused on maximizing engagement so that you could get the most eyeballs, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. some would argue that the incentives definitely misaligned with are misaligned with things like truth and democracy and, you know, civility, things yes. like that. So so I think you have to recognize that the environment in which you operate as a company, no matter what company you are. Is affected culturally by the internet, and especially this is especially true if you are a remote company, because you have seeded the ground for a lot of your cultural levers that you would have had otherwise. Like you Mm. don't—I don't think we understood when we were all sitting next to each other in cubicles, sharing birthday parties, sharing happy hours be seeing each other and especially our bosses and managers in meetings how much of a cultural effect that had on us in terms of aligning people moving in one direction now you can make an argument that it wasn't always the right direction and that the kind of uh you know normativity of that culture silenced some people in certain marginalized groups. I think that it's the remote work revolution has actually opened the door to a lot more voices within our culture to be heard, and that's where some of that tension has come from. Now, I should say I am an advocate of remote work. Our company works remotely. I work with a lot of remote work companies. But I do think you have to acknowledge that the effects of being alone – without those like other kinds of cultural influences. Yes. And then having myself connected at all times of the day where I've got my Slack group open right next to my Twitter account, mm-hmm. let's say. And all of these persuasive messages are inbound all day, like where I've got here's people talking about all these things happening in the world and here's people talking about all these things happening inside the quote-unquote walls of our company. Yeah. Like, those things are going to start melting together, and I'm going to start being influenced over here by the larger perspective of the world about what we should be doing inside our own walls. Right. And so, all of that, those misaligned incentives around engagement with the internet affect our culture of our company in positive and negative ways. Yes. But the reason why the internet makes it easier to make change, too. Is because we've given we've been given all of these tools, which are often cloud based, which mm-hmm. is you know, based around the internet, to communicate with our people more often in more mediums, in more persuasive ways, if we can take advantage of them. Yes. So we've we've put a lot of um, thought and a lot of money often into external communications mm. and. Not a lot into internal. That's that's been the majority of what I have seen. Is we might have like half a person's job on internal comms and a ten-person marketing team. Yes. What that means is that most of the messages that our people are hearing about our company are coming from the outside. Yep, they're not coming from the inside. They're not. They're not. We're not paying attention to like one memo that was distributed and they're like, oh, cool, that's where we're going. No, we're like again, constantly being. Influenced by what's happening outside the building.
2: That's been one of my greatest observations, um, I would say, in reflection to start this decade. And you know, as of recording, we're right on the eve of the three-year anniversary of of the COVID shutdown, if you will. Wow! And, and Talk about time, time passing in weird ways, it, right? <laughs> yeah, and and I remember because, like, out of out of that experience came this podcast because at the time I was launching a book the world shuts down you can't go on a speaking tour so you have to pivot and back to your point the internet allowed us to move very quickly to launch a podcast to you know reach people in new ways and new mediums that I don't know if I would have done had the world continued on the way that it was continuing on back then so that's just a little bit of a introspection but mm. looking at the the perspective of what I would say the decade of 2010 to 2020 was all about CX or customer experience. This decade, 2020 to 2030, focus on EX, employee experience. Mm. Because, and I, and I had a, a CEO tell me this the other day in a conversation uh, from a bank. It's like, you know, it was a private call and just how, how are things going? I, mean, I I'm just, people are flat right now. Um, and I, I said, well, let's talk about that, and we came to the conclusion they're just tired. They're just tired of you know the past three years, a lot of exponential change. We haven't been able to catch our breath, and that's where it's like, I think we need to be very mindful of the toll. And I, and I kind of go back to some of the, my early podcasts. I was talking about that. You're gonna have a Obviously, a health crisis, financial crisis, societal crisis, and then a psychological crisis for people mm-hmm. um, of having to deal with all of this. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I've I've had my fair share of ups and downs throughout this. But I think it's through the conversation that we're able to learn and gain some back to how we started this perspective. Yeah. So you know, you 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 note because just because you work in this vertical or you, i.e., technology, if you will, sure. Thomas Watson, Robert Metcalf, Steve Ballmer, um, you noted them in the book, they all underestimated the transformative natures of technologies like the computer, you mentioned that in the 70s, the internet, which is what we've been talking about, the iPhone with Ballmer. And he wrote, quote, most of us are terrible at seeing beyond our own self-interest to predict the future. Why, yep, is, that? I what? Mean, it, Why is that?
0: It's a self-protective psychological phenomenon. It's funny because, um, you know, just having (laughs) been in therapy and having friends of mine in therapy and kids of mine in therapy and all that and having to be kind of exposed to all the ways that your own mind tries to trick you, Mm. you know, And, and studying, like, psychological biases when we're talking about, like, making change. Yeah. I just find that stuff really fascinating. I find it so interesting, especially organizational psychology. Like, not only how we are all individually broken and our brains are tricking us into things. But then we get a bunch of people together and things like groupthink take over. And, you know, it's just yeah. it's so interesting to me. But uh, I think that, especially when you're in a leadership position. So we we obviously have a self-protective instinct about believing things about the future. and But I think in, individually, we can also realistically... Know and prepare for the worst to happen. And some of us, I think, often fixate on the worst happening instead of the best happening, right? Like, I think that there's there's good and bad to both those things. But when you get into a leadership position where your performance as a leader is based around the best case scenario happening, oh. right? Like, oh. I think it becomes even harder to even acknowledge that the other scenarios are possible, Especially when it's coming from a competitor, especially when it's coming from, you know, industries that you don't even want to acknowledge. Like, there's just there's so much incentive to continue going in the same direction and hoping it will work out. Now, combine that with surrounding yourself with sycophants or surrounding yourself with people who don't want to piss you off.
2: Right. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And no wonder that people are so like in leadership positions are so bad at predicting the future.
2: You you brought up an interesting point and and do you mind if we go maybe a little bit personal here and that's why I want go for it. tread carefully because you brought up therapy um i've i've been in therapy um you know coaching personal therapy marriage there i mean there's a lot of counseling it doesn't matter how you call it yeah um for over a decade and i would say that has probably taken for me personally the pains of my past if you will to try to use them as fuel for good to transform a negative into some positive to go help other people through my own personal experiences and what if 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 anything, it's just allowing me to be more aware of myself and then maybe help other people be more aware of what's going on around them. Not saying I have the answers, but maybe knowing the questions to maybe ask so to open up a new part of thinking for them. What role do you think therapy counseling, coaching plays into this transformative journey of change as an individual, as a team, as an organization.
0: As someone who's also been in and out of therapy for many years, I definitely highly recommend it for anyone. I think it is a good baseline to get an emotional intelligence about what's going on inside you, no matter what your past is. So I'm very pro therapy for everybody. But I do think that when we were talking about change management, change management is this interesting discipline that combines the best of kind of project management with people management, right? Like understanding role clarity, leadership skills, communication skills. So you often run into these problems that I would call emotional intelligence kinds of problems. We, wor- we work in the DEI space quite a bit mm-hmm. as it relates to you know cultural dynamics and gender dynamics and all of these things that are coming up around, I would call it both cultural dissonance and generational dissonance within a lot of companies. Mm. That You've got these younger kind of millennial Gen Zs who are basically saying, like, we don't want to put up with the same kinds of things that our parents put up with within the workplace. Yeah. And you've got a generational divide between – Leadership that's in their 50s, 60s, often white men, let's be honest, who don't really know what to do with that. It's not right. that they're malicious. It's that they, their cultural understanding of a work environment is very different than people who are entering it in their 20s right now. And so there is an emotional intelligence aspect to being able to receive feedback from people with very little work experience Let's be honest, you coming in, you're 24. Yeah. I'm a 50-year-old, 55-year-old CEO, and I'm supposed to hear the critique of a 25-year-old who we might not even speak, even if we met each other on the street, we might be of different cultures, different generations, you know, and be able to figure out what of that is true and what do I need to change about my leadership style?
2: And I want to pause before we go on because I think about one CEO at an organization, um, credit union, that that we've worked with over the years and we were doing a consumer persona marketing exercise and he walked in, um, on the marketing team and I was facilitating this. He said, well, what are y'all doing? Explained what we were doing around persona work. And I said, who do you connect with? And literally it was probably a bunch of millennials personified on the table with one baby boomer. And just from that one question of just visualization, multiple races and sexes and whatnot, he went to the one that looked most like him. Um, (laughs) And it was a very fascinating observation of how he identified with someone else. This idea of EQ emotional intelligence. What's your take on helping navigate or guide someone through the complexities of just that? Like you said, to start this conversation, we've got a lot to unpack and there's no <laughs> way we can unpack it all because this to me, I think is such an important point because the conversation within financial services has all been about, quote unquote, digital transformation. I think the next conversation is going to have to be through the lens of human transformation Mm -hmm. in conjunction with digital transformation. And so there's, but if I think about banking, the emotional intelligence of this vertical is perhaps maybe inherently lower than other verticals um, for multiple reasons, who it attracts in, how they deal with change naturally. Yeah, But- is, is EQ something that can be taught, can be coached, can be strengthened, can be improved like a muscle?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it can be. I mean, I think we as consultants have to figure out where the line for us is around, I'm not your therapist, mm-hmm. right? I'm your business coach. And so where can we provide structure and self-reflection in a way that it helps with leadership skills? without getting into your parents messed you up. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like there's
2: Absolutely.
0: There is definitely a a line that is usually pretty definitive there around the application of emotional intelligence to the work environment, but I do think through creating that structure and box for people we can help them be more self-reflective about oh, when your colleague said that to you in this way, do you think that that is something about the way that they said it or about the way that you received it. You know, like what... Communication. What, yeah, like w- we use this word in therapy a lot, like what what's triggering to you, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot of what I learned early on in my therapy is your emotional reactions are usually not about the person saying, you know, usually not about the other person at all, right? They're about something inside you is raw and it is poking at that thing. Yeah. And so we can help leaders to a certain extent with that mm-hmm. and like help them see and contextualize their own emotional reaction, especially help them do that before they go respond with something that may make a situation worse. Right. Yeah. Um, but fixing like that's to me, some of that's a bandaid and some of it's going to have to be fixed with some Deeper much more work. intense work. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, it's interesting because there's a, a an exercise I like to facilitate called review react respond so Mm. review a situation and just look at it very objectively of what happened how did you react okay great if you could live that experience over again how would you respond going forward into the future so it's it's trying to transform past experience through an objective lens in the present to not react but to take more of a proactive response going forward which is where i want to move our conversation as we start to wrap up here because Let's look ahead towards the future. Um, Mm. Change is going to be exponential. Opportunities. What opportunities are available for financial brand leaders to to guide their teams, guide themselves through even to navigate the complexities of change? Because it's that complexity that leads to conflict. And when you're in a constant state of conflict, it's going to lead to chaos. And that's just going to keep people stuck in the cave of complacency. Yep. What can be done to break free from that pattern?
0: I mean, Oh God, there's so many things that could be done. I think that to make it somewhat tactical, I think that the biggest opportunity I see is to just create moments for self-reflection and, so, and to see if the strategy as we conceptualized it is still working or not yes or, is the thing that we are building toward still the right thing? Um, and that could be as simple as putting a retrospective on the calendar, Yeah, you know, and, and holding that space. I used to have a mentor that said, if it's not on the calendar, it's just a good idea. So, you know, create that space for your team to have those self-reflective opportunities to create like what we used to call cheerful funerals. Just like we tried something and it didn't work, but we're going to celebrate that we tried it. Um, because if not, and I think you and I both coming from the tech world, we've probably seen this, like digital innovation takes a while. Like people no. people associate digital with speed as they should. Mm-hmm. The actual value creation inherent in digital innovation is a process that usually takes a while, whether that's a big system-wide implementation, some kind of new database that's going to unlock all these data insights, Mm. a new website launch even. like These are things that take a long, long, long time. And we can get so myopic in the systems tech implementation part that we lose the thread about why are we even doing this and is it still the right thing to do?
2: I like that idea of retrospection. It comes back to learn, think, do, boom, review what you've Mm -hmm. done, and then gain knowledge, gain insights, and then think about how to do even better through the next iteration going forward. And you're right, getting getting it on the calendar, because I like this perspective you shared. If it's not on the calendar, it's just a great idea. Yeah. I
0: mean, people who work in Agile have been doing this on a micro scale for a long time in terms of software development. Yeah. So if we can take some of those same principles and just expand them a little bit to our entire strategy is agile, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good, you know, framework from which to make faster decisions and to, you know, review data points as they're coming and be able to pivot as needed and, um, you know, be a learning organization.
2: Be be a learning organization. Build a culture of exponential learning so that you can navigate the complexities of exponential change. Caleb, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you for the discussion. If someone is listening, they want to connect with you, how how can they do that, and and where can they get the book?
0: Yeah, thank you. I, I'm at calebgardner.com and at Caleb Gardner almost anywhere on the web. I'd say that my, my website is probably the easiest way to connect with me. All over this uh, crazy internet that we just uh, <laughs> outlined. Probably have too many too many easy ways to get a hold of me this, these days. Connect with Caleb,
2: learn with Caleb, Get the book so that you can also <laughs> grow with Caleb. Caleb, thanks for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. It's been a lot of fun today. Thank you so much for having me. As always, and until next time, be well, do good and make your bed.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights, along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com slash insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.